Thank you, worship team. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go to the book of John, chapter 17. Before I introduce our guest speaker, next week we're going to have a meet and greet for those of you that live in uh, Forest Hills, Queens, just a couple of miles away from here. At the every service, 9 o'clock, 10.30, and 12.30, just to connect uh, with each other, and, and hopefully small groups can come out of that. Some people, after every service last weekend today, I said, but what if I live in Regal Park? Can I come? And what if I live in Kew Gardens? Can I come? And so, uh, yeah, you can come as well. Uh, we'd love to have you there to connect at the every service. It's just our way of getting new lifers to connect with their neighbors. Many people don't even know how many new lifers live on the same block as us. And so, really, that's the goal of connecting with one another. Now, we're in for a treat today. Um, our guest speaker this morning is Greg Holder. Greg is the lead pastor of the Crossing Church in St. Louis, Missouri. And last year, Pete was able to speak at his church, and, and there's been a relationship uh, brewing uh, between his church and our church here. Uh, last month or so, I met with a bunch of his staff here at New Life, and from the uh, inception of my conversations, I just knew there is a kindred heart, a kindred spirit between his church and between our church and what we value and what's important to us. And so um, we're so excited that he's here. Besides his church being one of the fastest-growing churches in the country, what I've been uh, really uh, struck by is the, uh, the steps that the church has taken in light of the crisis that has emerged out of Ferguson. And we know the last year, the, the crisis uh, in Ferguson. And, and Greg, in ways that many people don't know, has mobilized his church to connect with other churches within Ferguson and around the regions there to figure out what does it look like to move forward? What does it look like to work for reconciliation and justice? And so you might not see it in the press, but I've been really struck and impacted by his commitment to justice and reconciliation in that part of the world where God has put him there. And so uh, we're great to, we're, we're so excited to have him here. Now, this is his first time preaching in Queens, all right? And so whenever uh, we have someone who's their first time preaching in Queens, we give them the biggest ovation we possibly can. And so let's give him a Queens Boulevard welcome as Greg Holder comes up. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. All right. All right. We're going to see if you feel that way in a few minutes. But um, I am here by the grace of God, and it is only through the sacrifice of his son Jesus that I have been redeemed and called into this story. And it is a story that God is still writing, and I get to be a part of it, and so do many of you. You see, God has called us to live this grace-soaked, spirit-led life now. We're not waiting for heaven someday. We're to live that life now. We're to live it with gratitude. We are to live it in the middle of, of some glorious moments, but we are to live it in the middle of some, some, some heartbreaking moments, moments that might just catch us out of the blue, surprising moments. Can we just agree that sometimes life surprises us? Amen. I'm telling you what, God is calling us to something today. I want to pray for us, and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, I come before you now. Uh, we are going to open your word. We are going to listen for your wisdom. We are going to ask you to speak to us as you have and always will. But Father, I pray that we would do more than listen. I pray that we would listen with open and receptive hands, that we would allow this to now apply to our lives. God, may this be more than an intellectual exercise. May we take your word and live it out for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. 
Gang, you need to hear me. Life's too short. God's too good. And the kingdom is way too important for us to not live this out. But we will live it out when life surprises us. And life does surprise us, right? I mean, so there's this kid, and you, maybe you've heard this story, but there's a, there's a guy, he's going on a blind date. How many of you have ever been on a blind date? They are just brutal, brutal things. If you've ever, oh, it's like you have no idea what you're getting into. And so he's just kind of trying to figure out what am I going to do? And he goes, I, I think I'll go old school with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a candy store. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a box of candy because he's supposed to meet the girl and then have dinner with her parents. And so he says, all right. He goes to the candy store. The guy who owns the store comes up and says, how can I help? He said, explains the whole deal. He goes, I need three boxes of candy. I need the cheapest box of candy you have in case she's like, you know, not really that nice looking and I'm going to bail before dinner and I don't want, I don't want to be out too much money. And the guys go, oh, wow. And I need a, like a medium, a medium priced box of candy in case she's good looking, but maybe, you know, I'm not going to really be able to, to spend any time with her alone. Maybe she's kind of uptight and I don't want to, but, and, and then I need the most expensive box of candy you have in case A, she's gorgeous and B, I might be able to get her away from her parents for a while if you know what I mean. So he buys these three boxes of candy, shows up at the girl's door. Sure enough, she is drop-dead gorgeous. He's like, wow, I'll be right back. He runs out and he gets the expensive box of candy. He goes in. He meets mom. She, he hands her the, 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 the candy. She says, oh, that's the sweetest gesture. Nobody ever does that anymore. Goes around the corner, meets dad, you know, shakes his hand. They sit down for dinner. Dad says, well, would you like to, uh, would you like to ask the, the Lord's blessing before we have the meal? So they, they, luckily they're all sitting down because I'm telling you what, this guy goes off on about the longest, most elaborate prayer you've ever heard. He's thanking God for everything. He's praying for everybody in the world. He's just going through all of this and praying for protection and guidance and everything. This thing lasts forever. And finally he says, amen. And the girl just looks at him and goes, wow, I had no idea you could pray like that. To which he looked at her and said, I had no idea you're dad owned a candy store. <laughs> so one more time, life is full of surprises. But the way you and I live this life now matters. And God has called us to something, and I want to share with you a truth that, 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 that has existed since before there was time. I want to share with you a truth that has existed since before the great I am spoke blazing galaxies into existence. It is a truth that will not just change us, but it will shape our world, even a world that sometimes shocks and surprises us. Now listen to me. Some of you are already wondering where we're going to go with this thing. Because I'm, I'm making jokes about surprises, and the surprise that dropped into your lap recently wasn't funny at all. In fact, the surprise that dropped into your lap this last, lap this last week probably broke your heart. It might be something that, that shocked you, it's confusing you, it's discouraging you, it might be putting a wedge between you and somebody you love. I love the awkward honesty of Scripture. It's just blunt. John 16, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. I am so glad he told me the truth. You know what I'm saying? But I'm so glad he didn't stop there. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know what he's talking about there? It's a word that I cling to. It's a word that I know you deal with a lot around here. It is the word hope. Hope. You see, hope is why little boys shave before they need to. Hope is why little girls go to the dance anyway. Hope is why kids of all ages run down the stairs on Christmas morning. Hope is why we show up at church. Hope is why we open God's word. Hope is why you go to the marriage counselor. Hope is what you cling to when you're standing at the graveside of a loved one. 
Hope is where we don't give up on our communities. Hope that God will redeem. Hope that God will, in fact, have the last word. But until then, you and I are to live this life differently. Now, I want to take you to the worst night of Jesus' life. I want to show you how it is that we are to live this life in one particular way, and it's going to apply to your life, and then we're out of here. But we have to go first to the worst night of Jesus' life. It's in the middle chapters of John. If you read the Gospel of John, that's where we'll be, actually in John 17. But in the earlier chapters, he's painting the picture of what was going on the night Jesus was betrayed. Now, there's all sorts of intrigue there. Jesus has had this private meal. The authorities don't know where he is. He has this beautiful moment of communion where he's just drenched everything with meaning. But Jesus has this look on his face like death is around the corner. And of course it was. The cross was always waiting for him at the end of this week. Jesus has dismissed the betrayer, and now he is with the remaining disciples. And it's as if when they step outside, death is waiting for him, and it is. You see, it's just moments away. The betrayal, the kiss, the arrest, the false accusations, blasphemy in the air, blood on the cross. It's all, it's all, it's coming. But right before all hell breaks loose, Jesus, you know what he does? He prays. Now, he starts off in John 17 praying for himself. And then he prays for these men that he loves. And then if you look in verse 20 of John 17, it says that he prayed for those who would come to believe. And you know who that is? That's us. So he's praying for us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody pray for me, I pay attention. Do you ever, do you ever tell people that, that, that you're going to pray for them and then you forget to? I made a vow a long time ago. I'm just not going to say it. It's not just, I'm just not, if, if I'm not really going to pray for him, I'm not going to say it. But sometimes, even today, people will go, praying for you, man. I'm like, okay, are you really? <laughs> even worse, in our defanged, politically correct, spiritually neutered world, people say it this way. Thinking good thoughts for you today, buddy. Yeah, I'll be thinking good thoughts. I don't even know what that means. I don't want you to think good thoughts. You know what I want you to do? I want you to bombard heaven with my name. That's what I want. I want you to pray for me. And when somebody prays for me, I don't care if it's a friend, if it's a pastor, if it's somebody on my board, my staff, my wife, my nana. When somebody prays for me, I listen in because now all of a sudden I'm interested. If you knew Jesus was praying for you, wouldn't you want to listen in? Because I'm going to tell you what, in John 17, that's exactly what happens. You see, I think this vast prayer of cosmic proportions comes down to one single intimate word. See if you can find it. I'm going to read some verses for you. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, that you, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, for you to understand the point that I'm going to make in just a minute, we have to jump into the deep end of the pool. Do you know what I mean when I say that? We're going to swim in the waters of theology for just a minute. But we can do it. We can handle it. And we'll come right back, okay? So everybody take a deep breath because here we go. But I need your help. For us to understand this, I want you to fill in the blank for me, okay? God is, God is good. What else? God is, God is what? God is one. That's the answer right there. That's the one I was looking for. So 
Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Because that's pretty much the point. <laughs> we could do this all day long, couldn't we? God is good. God is faithful. God is love. All of those are true. But you know what my Jewish friend who's trying to figure Jesus out says to me these days? Greg, I don't understand anything else, but I'll tell you this. God is one. Now, you know where that comes from? It comes from something in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that, that, that my, my Jewish friends will call the Shema because that's the word that is in Hebrew that starts this off. It's the core confession of the Hebrew faith. Now, if scholars are correct, then even back in Jesus' day, this was probably the first prayer that little Jesus was taught. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. Little Jesus had to be taught how to pray. You getting that? Because we just kind of think that Jesus is walking around as a three-year-old going, yep, I thought up the theory of relativity and that was a good day. And No, no, Jesus humbled himself so much that little Jesus has to be taught how to form words. So I want you to see if you can picture this now. Yosef or Miriam, that's what they would have been called, his parents. They call the little toddler up, Yeshua, come here. Jesus, like three-year-old Jesus, is sitting on their lap. This is how we start our day, little one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Rocheno, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the word for one in Hebrew is the word Echad. How about we all speak a little bit of Hebrew today? Everybody now say Echad. Echad, yeah. If you got something hanging back there, this is your chance to clear it out. Echad. 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 Now listen, this is a really interesting word because it means one, but it means something else. It, there, there's, it, there's kind of a mystery to this word because, well, well, in other places in Scripture, like in Exodus, Moses, the people are speaking with one voice. So you've got this big, huge, diversified group, and they're speaking as one. So they're united. There's a place where the prophet Ezekiel is told to take two sticks, one for Judah, one for Israel. And God says, put them in your hands so that they can become one. So two things are now united. The first time we even see this word in the scriptures is in Genesis. You want to, you want, you want to know what God's plan for marriage is? And the man shall leave his mother and father, and the two shall become one. Now that you're experts in Hebrew, anybody want to guess what the word is? It's the word ikad. So it means one. It always means one. Listen up, Israel. There's one God. You're about to be planted into a land of many gods. Don't be tempted by them. There is one God. But even all the way back at the beginning, there's a mystery to this word, and it gives us a hint that there's, here it is, there's more to the one in the one. There's one, but there's more to the one in the one. Really, I don't even know you, and you're going to try to explain the Trinity to me? Hang on, hang on. I'll just tell you this much. There is one God, one in essence, one in purpose, one in nature, but somehow, some way, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit in that one. Now, that makes it a mystery, but we live with mysteries all the time, don't we? I mean, Len Sweet got me to thinking about this a long time ago, but, but, but like, there, there are all sorts of mysteries in this world. Why, is, why don't we have as much matter as antimatter in the universe when physics says there should be an equal amount? How come there are hundreds of tons of, of galactic dust and materials that bombard our planet every day and yet people aren't hurt? How come the word abbreviation is so long? <laughs> How come the time of day when the traffic is slowest is called 
rush hour. <laughs> See, those of you who learned English as a second language, you go, yeah, you've got some weird ways here. So there are mysteries, and we live with these mysteries, don't we? So let's not just cop out, though. How do we explain the mystery of the Trinity? I can't, but I'll give you this. The Trinity is a unified community of love. God is love. We could answer it that way. God is love. So here's the picture. It's the Father saying to the Son, that's my boy in whom I am well pleased. It's the Son saying, Papa, I'll do whatever you say, even if my heart is breaking. It's the Spirit constantly pointing to the greatness of the Son. It's the Son saying, wait till the Spirit gets a hold of you. You guys are going to do all sorts of things that we didn't accomplish. So you know what being one means? It's a kind of love. It's a kind of championing, sacrificing, uh, uh, humble, joyful experience. It's what goes on within the Trinity. And this is really, really important to Jesus. He said, this is the way I was loved. This is the way I love. And some of you are going, well, how, how, what am I supposed to do with that? Somehow, someway, we who follow Jesus are supposed to love each other in such a tangible way that the rest of the world goes, I've never seen that before. What is going on? I want to be a part of that. You see, you and I are called to a different kind of love. Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He says that you are to be one in spirit, and then he says this, contending as one. Now, the word there, you might even be able to guess what part of that word means. If I showed it to you, if I wrote it out, it is the word athleo. Now, athleo, you could probably guess what that word is. It's athletics, right? Soon just means with. You know what athleo is? I'll give you a picture. Rich, come here. He's going to be my prop today. So, ladies and gentlemen, my beautiful assistant. Uh, <laughs> athleo means teammate. Here's a good picture of what it means to contend as one. We're together, baby. You can't separate us, but it means more than that. It means there will be times when Rich is tired, or maybe he's scared, or maybe he's drifting a little bit. And no, Rich, we're doing this together. There are going to be other times that it's me who's tired. It's going to be like, I don't think I can do this alone, Rich. You've got to help me. This is what it means to be one. We are to do this together. Are you seeing this? Because I'm going to tell you what, thank you. We, we are called together to reflect this oneness. Now, in a very specific way, what I'd love to do is to just call this out. Uh, when, when Jesus prays for us, he doesn't pray that we would be the coolest kids on the block. He doesn't pray that we'd be the most popular. He doesn't pray that we would be the biggest studs on the athletic field. He doesn't pray that, Father, may all of my followers have more money than anyone else. Father, may my people just be the best darn good-looking folks in the land. He doesn't even pray that we would be the smartest people so that we could win all of the debates. What does he pray? Father, may they be one, as you and I are one. And the world, the world, the world will take notice. So, now, how is this going to work for us? You see, uh, it, it means so many different things. It means that the, the it, it means you're not going to pass on that rumor. It means you're not going to talk about your pastor or your small group leader or your boss or your coach or your teacher as soon as they leave the room. It means your wife is no longer going to be the punchline to a joke that only you think is funny. It means that your words matter more than you think they do to your kids. It means you will forgive because you've never gotten over God's grace. You couldn't pay him back in a thousand lifetimes. It means that your heart stays soft because you are the beloved. It means you give outrageously to people you will never meet this side of heaven.
It means a lot, but I'm going to give you one more. It means that you will, in a healthy way, because I am so grateful for this church and the way that this church has just called this out. I am so grateful for the way that, that, that this church has said there has to be an emotional health within the church, okay? So what I am now saying is you keep your boundaries, you do this in a healthy way. I'm not asking that you get weird and codependent with it, but if you want to be one together, there will be moments, here it is, God is going to call you to enter into the chaos of another person. God's gonna say, batter up. God's gonna say, you have to enter into this with this person. Now let me explain it to you. Let's play fill in the blank one more time. Jesus is, somebody give me an answer. Jesus is savior, Jesus is love, Jesus is one. Yeah, sure, we could say that again. Jesus is, what else? Jesus is alive, hello, we're not too far from Easter, that's good, yeah, in the back. Jesus is king, all right. We could do this all day, couldn't we? I had somebody, when I did this once, and, and this beautiful Latino woman said, Jesus is Puerto Rican, and I was like, okay. I do not have the chapter and verse on that, but I, I'll take your word for it. He's everything. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. He is the Holy One of Israel, the Son of Righteousness, the Chief Cornerstone the resurrection and the life. He is the Lamb of God and the Son of God and the Son of Man and the Lord of all. He is Lord God Almighty. But I'm gonna give you two words. Jesus is God and Jesus is man. It's the mystery of the incarnation. He loves you so much that he wrapped himself in flesh. Now Jesus gets tired and Jesus gets hungry and Jesus hits his thumb with the hammer at work and Jesus stubs his toe when he gets up in the middle of the night. Jesus is betrayed and Jesus died. Make no mistake, on the cross, God died, but the only way God died was that Jesus became human. How much does he love us anyway? Thank you. But because he loves us that much, he became flesh, and we celebrate this at Christmas. In that manger, that baby is God. Hallelujah, Merry Christmas. At Easter, we celebrated. Jesus died and rose again. Happy Easter. But the incarnation matters today because Jesus trusted his disciples so much that he said, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. I want you to go into the world. I don't want you to just tell the story. I want you to be the story. I want people to pick up on my grace and my love by the way you live your life. Because people need, they need a physical, tangible evidence of me. They need somebody with skin on. Little girl's in the middle of a thunderstorm. It's a huge thunderstorm. We get bad thunderstorms in the Midwest. She's sitting there, and, and she's hanging on for dear life in her room, and all of a sudden, there's that last clap of thunder. It's the one that rattles the windows, and she goes, that's it. I'm out of here. She runs down the hallway, boom, 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 kicks her parents' doors open, just comes, does a swan dive right into the middle of her parents' bed. Now, they know she wants comfort. They know what she's needing, and so they do that, but they're parents, and so they're always looking for that teachable moment. Sweetheart, you do know that God is with you. Yes, you do know that you had nothing to fear. You do know that God is bigger than any old thunderstorm. She goes, I know, I know, I know that. But right now, I need someone with skin on. <laughs> now listen to me, listen to me. 
There is someone in your life right now, you might not be sitting very far from them, and they need someone with skin on. They're going through a tough time, they've got a question, they've got a struggle, and they need the physical flesh and blood tangible evidence that they are not alone. And it's your turn. Game on, move in. Weird story. I get to travel around the world. I, uh, one of the things that I get to do is, uh, is to, to move into places that need clean water. Um, one of those trips we were in, well, we were in Nepal and we were in India. And so like right now, my heart is breaking for my friends in Nepal. Uh, when I think of Kathmandu and Pokhara and, and, and Bhaktapur and, and, and different places. And, and so pray for them, please. I know we, we just did. But we spent a lot of time in India, and I was there, and this time I was able to take my, my two daughters, my beautiful, at this time they were late teenage, early 20 daughters, and, uh, and my wife, and they were a part of the crew that was going with us. And, and, and we sent everyone else home, and, and dad was going to take them around the rest of India. Now I need to just, I, I'd like to confess something to you. India, when I go to India, it is so overwhelmingly beautiful. Some people don't know what to do with India. I'm just going to tell you this. India has the most intoxicating cocktail of, of sights and sounds and smells and spices and foods and people and colors. It is, it's just, I just tell people, just dive straight in because it's just, I just love it. And I said, I want my family to experience that. So I want to show them parts of India that they haven't seen, like the Taj Mahal. I want them to see the Taj Mahal. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing sight. I want them to ride the trains of India because that's a trip. So we just got this whole thing planned. We go to Agra where the Taj is. We, it's just wonderful. People are great. It's just a wonderful time. But now we've, we've got to go back home. So we're going to ride the train. We're going to go from Agra. We're supposed to go from there to Delhi, and then we're flying home. The only thing is, my friends in India bought us pl uh, train tickets, not from Agra, but from another village like an hour or so away. Now, I'm not going to name the village, but here it is. We can't get home from here. I need about an hour, hour and a half drive over to this other village so that we can catch the train. So I asked the fella at the, at the hotel desk, will you help me? I just need a driver. Can I book a car? I need to get to such and such town. As soon as I mentioned that town, and I still to this day don't know what was going on, but as soon as I said that town, he gets a look on his face and he goes, surely you do not mean to go there. And I was like, oh, I thought I did. I said, I've got to, that's my ticket. And he gets on this, you know, he gets on the, on the, on the, like the, the computer terminal and these other people come up and they're all whispering and they're looking back at me and it's just like, oh, oh, oh. And there's a whole crowd there. And then they all come back to me and they go, sir, you must go there. And I was like, I know, that's what I was trying to tell you. And they said, we will get you a driver. So they get a driver, we come downstairs. Oh, by the way, this was the day of the Mumbai bombings. So everybody's on edge. There are more machine guns that day than I've ever seen in India. I mean, it was just kind of a, it was a tough day. Everybody's kind of looking at each other. And so it's like, okay. Driver comes up, beautiful man, just comes up and says, so where are we going today, sir? I tell him where we're going today. He gives me the same look, and I am not making this up. He goes, surely you do not mean to go there. And I'm like, I know, I know, I'm picking up on that. But we go, we drive, I won't give you all of the details, but I will tell you, we get to this village, we get to this area, and, and I, I want to I just call this out, because this was not a racial thing. I, I'm just absolutely convinced. There was something going on in that town. It, was, it, happens in, it happens in every city where there is something happening, and you don't really want to be a part of the problem. We would probably be part of the problem if we moved in there 
kind of looking the way we look. They were not interested in some American. They would certainly not be interested in an American pastor showing up trying to make his way home. This driver takes us into this mass of humanity. There comes a point at which the car stops because there are people everywhere. Most of them were nice. Some of them were not. But they all had the same look on their face. And they seemed to be saying, at least to me, surely you did not mean to come here. The driver stops and says, this is as far as my boss will let me take you. You're going to have to navigate the rest of this. He will not allow me to go any further into this. And I was like, okay. He says, give me some rupees. I take some out. He says, all of the rest of that money, I want you to tuck it into your boot and never take it out again. I'm going to lock the door behind me. I'll be back. Do not let anybody in. I'm like, okay. So there I sit in this car with three beautiful women and one idiot father. So there we are. He comes back, he gets in the car, and he says, I'm going to introduce you to a man. He is what we call a coolie. He is a porter. He wears a red shirt. He's one of the guys that just kind of helps you navigate the train station. Now, this guy doesn't speak English. I don't speak much Hindi. So there's going to be a, a barrier there, but we introduce, he introduces us, and then he shakes my hand. God is my witness. He has a tear in the corner of his eye, and he says, good luck. I hope you make it. And I'm like, wow, that's helpful. The porter now takes these backpacks and we start to follow him. There was some inappropriate stuff that was said to my daughters uh, by a vast minority of people. There were men that were just, and I was like, okay, God, you gotta help me protect my family. I told them one thing. I said, don't worry about me, I'm following. I want you to pay attention to the guy in the red shirt. Do not lose sight of the man in the red shirt. If you have to hang on to that red shirt, you do what you do, but you follow him. He knows the way out. So we make our way to the train station. It's an old dilapidated station. We're standing there by the, by the, by the rail, and it's just, you know, it's just hot, and it's, it, it's, we're just waiting, and there's this beautiful, I would call her my Indian grandmother, who just came out of nowhere. She assessed the situation like this. She sees me, she sees these beautiful women, and she says, you, come with me. And she takes them and tucks them under her arm and takes them kind of away from some of the trouble that was happening out there. I'm standing near the tracks waiting for this. We've got one shot, one train. If we miss it, we're there all night. I don't see anything, I don't understand anything. A train will come, it'll stay this long, and then it leaves, and I'm like, God, please help me. How are we going? I don't wanna miss the train. My guy is sitting back over here against the wall, just as relaxed as relaxed can be, just relaxed. And I'm just watching him for hours now. Finally, he leans forward and he just looks at me and goes, and I'm like, okay, here we go. I run and I get the girls and I say the same thing to them. There's going to be a mad rush to the train. And if you've ever been in some of these train stations, it's, the, the train doesn't stop for long. And there's just a rush to the train. And I'm like, girls, you got to make the train. Same instructions. Follow the guy in the red shirt. Don't worry about me. If you have to, hang on to him. But get onto that train. So everything stops. He gets on the train. One girl, two girls, my wife. I cram onto the train. We follow him all the way through this crowded car to our own little cabin that had been reserved. It was like our own little Harry Potter cabin on our way to Hogwarts. <laughs> Except it was old and hot and not very magical, but we were there. This man who all day long had served us drops these four backpacks and for the first time ever, I saw him smile. Neither of us spoke each other's language, but I know what he said to me. I got you here, didn't I? And I looked at that man who at that point had become my little redeemer, my little savior for the day. And I gave him the biggest tip I've ever given anybody in my life. And I tried in every way possible to thank him. Now listen to me. God answered my prayer. God rescued me from a chaotic situation. How did he do it? 
it was the guy in the red shirt. So what am I saying to you? I am saying some of you are going through a chaos right now. You may be making more of it than it is, like I did. I probably made more out of that than I should have. Some of you, though, it's real, and the conflict is real, and the pain is real, and you can't even hear yourself think, and you're like, God, how am I getting out of this thing? Will you please show me the way out? And he will, he will. But how does God speak to us? He speaks to us in a lot of different ways. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the, the beauty of his spirit. He speaks to us through silence. God speaks to us. But now, this is just Greg talking. But never once have I heard the audible voice of God clearly say, Yea, verily, thou shalt turneth to the left up ahead. But he does lead me. And you know one of the ways he leads me? He puts somebody with skin on in my life. And they speak hard truth to me. And they speak encouragement to me when I don't think anybody else gets it. And they're the one who says, no, buddy, we're going to contend together as one. We're going to do this. You will not give up. You are not alone. And that's the genius of one. That's the genius of what God is saying to each of us. You see, some of us think, well, nobody could understand. No, God has put someone in your life. That porter, you know why he didn't panic? Because he'd been there before. Some of you, you've been through a situation, and you, you get it, and you're like, hey, come with me. I'll show you how we're going to do this. I'll go with you to that first meeting. I'll pray for you during that interview. This, do you have any idea how this would revolutionize our world if some of you today vowed and said, that's it? No more pretending. I'm going to admit to one person I'm having that struggle. I have that fear. I have that addiction. I got that thing. I'm just even almost too embarrassed to say. You just say it to one person because you don't have to go through it alone. Do you have any idea what would happen if the rest of us vowed, it's time for me to get my hands dirty. It's time for me to serve somebody. It's time for me to put the red shirt on. You see, we pray, God, please protect my kids. God, please help the poor. God, please, would you comfort that person in grief? God, would you heal the racial tensions in this world? And you know what? God does. God hears that prayer. Hey, God moves. But God also says, I'll do that. I'll comfort that person. I'll care for the poor. I got you kids. I'm going to heal these hurts between people groups. But you know what? I want you in it. I'm sending you. Go. They need somebody with skin on. So for some of you today who are going through the most difficult time that you could imagine, and the surprise was not funny, you look to Jesus because there's nobody but Jesus who can satisfy this for you. But he loves you so much that even as he comforts you, he will put somebody in your life. And they might as well have a red shirt on because they are going to walk with you and champion you and love you. And the genius of what God's plan is becomes real and it becomes true. And our faith deepens and we make better decisions. And singles navigate the, 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 the beauty of the single life better. And parents become better parents. And the church becomes the church. And the watching world looks at all of this and says, wow, I want to be a part of that. How did that happen? And in that very moment, the prayer of Jesus that he prayed on the worst night of his life starts to come true. Gang, listen to me. Life is too short. God is too good. 
And the kingdom is too important for us to do otherwise. To God be the glory. Amen. I love this message because Greg is inspiring us to, to be the church. And at New Life, um, we talk about we're not called to be three things. We're not called to be a mall, which is a crowd of consumers. We're not called to be a stadium, which is a crowd of spectators. But not to be called, uh, not to be a subway car that is a, a, a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity to each other. We're called to be the family of Jesus on mission for Jesus. This is who we are. And really the invitation, as I see it, is twofold. Uh, for some of us, the invitation is to a life of courage. Maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus on your own, and you have these hangups, these addictions, you're stuck in life right now, but you don't have anyone that you've gone to to say, hey, I need some help right now. I need, I need someone with skin on to help me through this. And the invitation, uh, as we have our prayer team to my right, is to a life of courage and humility to say, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I, I need help. And God wants to give you the very courage. And some of you, you're feeling like the courage is coming up inside of me right now. And at the end of the service, the simple thing of just coming up for prayer might be a very courageous act for you to do, to say, I need to begin somewhere, and I just want someone to pray with me and pray for me. It's courage. The second invitation is really to a life of compassion. It's easy to live apathetically, indifferent. Uh, somebody's hurt, ah, I'll, I'll pray for you. <laughs> As opposed to what does it look like for me to enter into the space of someone? Who am I? Who is God calling me to step into, step into the chaos of their lives? Maybe that person's in your home right now. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you know here that you know God is saying, I know I can't do everything, but maybe God's calling me for one person to step into their life. And God wants to fill us with compassion today. And you realize, I can't do this on my own. So if you need like a prayer of empowerment today to do everything that God is calling you to do, why don't you come up for prayer as well. For any need that you have, you can come up for prayer, physical, emotional, relational. But we end every gathering with prayers because uh, God has set it up so that he wants to speak to us and move through us, through each other in this place. That's why we're called to be the church, not a subway car, not a mall, not a stadium. And if you never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you hear God just knocking on the door of your heart saying, I want you to follow me. And you're saying, yes, I've heard about religion. I've heard about Christianity. But today I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to be part of this church community to walk with me and walk through, walk in situations uh, with me. I, I want you to come up as well. To my left, we have the Lord's table, which is Christ's tangible reminder that he is with us. He says, take bread, dip it in the cup. And whenever we do this, we remember his death, but we, we also remember that he is with us right now in our struggle, in our chaos, in our pain. So you can come up the center aisle and you can receive that there. Prayer on this side, communion on that side. As we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven. And we do this every week because it's a posture of receiving blessing. And we cannot give what we have not received. And so with your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with the courage to say, I need help. And with the, with the compassion to step into the situation of someone else, to be the help that God is uh, calling you to be in their lives. 
may we not just go to church, may we be the church. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.